When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Three guys covering Marvin Harrison, and he gets it up and over, layers it, and Harrison stretches out to make the catch. That's outstanding. This, I'm telling you, this guy, the sky is the limit for Marvin Harrison Jr. I truly believe that this man right here on your screen will be the best receiver in the NFL in about four or five years. Oh, man, Marvin Harrison Jr. I tell you, I love watching him play football. He's a he's a natural athlete, um, prodigious talent, and a guy that, like I said, and I believe, and, and by the way, I wrote that down prior. I, I believe that, and I was, I was weighing whether I was going to say Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL in four or five years. And it's just like, you know, that catch kind of led it. Led me right to it. You know, you lead a horse to water, and 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 there he goes. So, Marvin Harrison Jr. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Joel Klatt. This is the Joel Klatt Show. I'm very excited about this episode, as I'm sure you are, because it was a good weekend of college football. Once again, the sport never disappoints. Um, lots to get into today. We got to... It was my first opportunity to see Ohio State. So, you Buckeye fans, I've got a lot of thoughts about that game. And really, I think, you know, just college football fans in general... Um, we just need to step back and evaluate what we saw from Ohio State and Iowa um, and what it means. And so I'll go through that. This Oregon team just gets better and better every week. And I've got some thoughts on Oregon. Dan Lanning and crew doing a great job. TCU continues to win, doing something that's only been done three other times in the old AP poll era. Um, and I got some thoughts on Clemson as well in a win and staying undefeated and their quarterback situation. So that's where we're going to go today. I do have thoughts, by the way, on Texas, Texas A&M. That's coming on Wednesday. So the Wednesday episode, I'll dive into uh, the the disappointments that are Texas and Texas A&M a little bit further. But right now, it's going to be Ohio State, Oregon, TCU, Clemson, big week into college football. Let's get started. Well, it really was kind of a tale of two halves in a lot of ways, Coach Jake. Congrats on the win, but you look up in 54-10. What was said at the break and what adjustments were made to find that rhythm offensively? Well, what we talked about at halftime was the defense had to can just to continue to do what they were doing, which we thought they were playing very, very well. And the offense just need to finish off some drives. And the scoreboard would look a lot different. Um, you know, we felt like we dominated on defense, really, in, in that first half. And then, you know, an offense, you know, they, they're very good on defense. And it was hard early on. And then we, kept, we stuck with it and then got the rhythm a little bit there in the third and uh, beginning of the fourth. 
All right, so it, what you would expect him to say after a game like that. And, and as you know, I don't just sit there and recap the game, but I do have a lot of thoughts. Okay, so the first thing that he said is, is we got to finish off drives. Yes, and the score would have looked wildly different, in particular with the way that the Ohio State defense was giving their offense a short field uh, really throughout that first half. If Ohio State's offense is even remotely good in the first half, they've got a giant lead in that game, giant lead. And so the fact that Iowa's defense, which came in as one of the best defenses in college football, and I, by the way, I still think that they're one of the best defenses in college football. The fact that they held them to those field goals is the reason that we didn't have that runaway from Ohio State. Now, it would come later, but I want to talk first about style, okay? And, and not necessarily style points from an Ohio State perspective, but style of game, all right, and, and blueprint, because here's what you have to understand. This Iowa team, and more importantly, program, because it's not just this year. They've been doing this for years and years and years at Iowa. Their blueprint is to minimize the number of possessions you get as an opponent, to win the field position battle, to create good field position for their offense, in particular short fields, and try to steal some points here or there, and then get you into a situation where it's uncomfortable late. And then they're like, this is what we want. Hopefully we can win the line of scrimmage. And, and in particular, late, our will will break your will and we'll win the game. And we'll make one more play than you do. And we've seen that work for a lot of years for Kirk Ferentz. And it's not working this year. And we understand that, right? They, they play in small margins and, and they play on the fine line. But let's go back to the blueprint like I was talking about. For them to be effective, they have to reduce the number of overall possessions that you get as an opponent. And through the first few, really 10 possessions, eight possessions of this game on Saturday, they were doing exactly what Iowa needed to do to stay in a game and produce a one-possession game late in the fourth quarter. Let me tell you what I mean by that. <clears throat> through the first eight possessions in that ballgame that Ohio State had, they had scored one touchdown and kicked four field goals. That's 19 points. Okay, now, they had also scored a defensive touchdown. Let's just remove that, right? And, and just talk about the style. Like, how is the blueprint supposed to work for Iowa? That's how it's supposed to work. You're forcing them to kick field goals. You give up maybe one touchdown. Through eight possessions, it's 19 offensive points. Maybe you steal a, a half field here or there. Maybe you can get into the end zone yourself. Maybe you can get into the end zone on the offense. Let's say it's 19-14 through eight possessions. Guess where it should be in the game on the scoreboard through eight possessions. If they're doing their job, if their offensive line can play a requisite level, if they can sustain drives, what should happen, the design for Iowa, is that at that point through eight possessions, it's about eight-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Maybe, maybe less than that, seven-minute, six-minute mark of the fourth quarter. So at that time, then, Ohio State's at home. It's 19-14. And all of a sudden, you're in this dogfight, right? You feel like you've been taken into deep water by Iowa. That's how they're built. That's how their defense played in the first eight possessions. Here's the problem. Through those eight possessions offensively for Ohio State, guess how much time had come off the clock? It was still 11.44 left in the third quarter. At that point, it's unsustainable. That defense cannot hold up anymore. You can't give Ohio State that many bites at the apple before the avalanche of points is going to eventually 
come to you. And that's exactly what happened. In the subsequent four possessions, Ohio State scored four offensive touchdowns. Blew the game wide open. And when you couple that with the fact that they did have a defensive score earlier, what do you get? You get 54 points. So the fact that the, the, the blueprint for Iowa was working, except for their offense could not sustain. So what does that lead us to? Okay, so what, what are you explaining here, Joel? Well, here's what I'm explaining. You can sit there, and this game was really more about what was happening when Iowa had the ball and when Ohio State was on defense. And why was that so important? Well, two things can be true at the same time in this game. Iowa can be awful on offense, and a really good defense for Ohio State can be doing exactly what they should do to a bad offense, right? Iowa's offense was awful. I'm not defending it. You're not defending it. That was bad. That was awful. So what should a good defense, albeit a really good defense, do to an offense like that? Thoroughly dominate them. Well, Joel, when they see an offense like that, they should have definitely shouldn't have 10 or more first downs. Iowa didn't. Uh, probably shouldn't have 200 total yards. Iowa didn't. Uh, probably should be like less than, shoot, 15% on third down conversions. Iowa was less than 15%. What were the actual numbers? Well, <clears throat> eight first downs, 158 total yards, and one of 13 on third down. So what I'm trying to say is Ohio State did exactly what they should do to that offensive team. And that was part of the reason why it was still at the 11:44 mark in the third quarter. You see, Ohio State kept gaining possessions for their offense. That's what makes Ohio State much better this year than they were a year ago. Okay, we've seen times throughout history in college football where really good offenses, offenses that you would categorize at the top of college football, can get stymied through four, five, six, seven, eight possessions. So what's the difference? Well, those teams can get beat if their defense does not keep providing them opportunities. And that's exactly what Ohio State did. They scored defensively. They kept gaining turnovers. They kept applying the pressure. They kept dominating the opponent. So that's good news for the Ohio State Buckeyes. That's good news for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And when you actually look at it in comparison to the only team that you can compare Ohio State to this year because they're going to have to play them late in November. They actually dominated that offense to a much better degree than Michigan dominated the Iowa offense just a few weeks ago, albeit that one was at home for Iowa and this one was on the road, but the numbers are actually pretty stark. When you look at what Iowa did offensively against Michigan, because remember, these are the two freight trains that are pointing at each other. So can we really evaluate Ohio State without bringing up Michigan? Can we really evaluate Michigan without bringing up Ohio State? I don't think you can. Because those two teams have to go through one another to get even to the Big Ten championship game. Okay, so these freight trains are pointed at each other, which means all we can do is start comparing where are they against one another with common opponents, with the way that they played on any given week. And now we've got this common opponent, and you're going to see Iowa's offense against Ohio State had eight first downs, 158 total yards, and they were one of 13 on third downs. Michigan held Iowa to 16 first downs, 281 total yards, and four of 11 on third down. So the numbers weren't as good. The numbers weren't as good, you know, and, and I, for one, and 
not many people out there were sitting there after Michigan beat Iowa pretty thoroughly on the road. None of us were sitting there like, yeah, but, you know, they still ain't played nobody. For whatever reason, the standard that everyone holds Ohio State to is extraordinary. Extraordinary. And what you'll see here in in a moment is like, this team is actually really scary. And after, well, let me get to that in a moment. Let me talk first about like this defense, because I'm talking a lot about the defense. The defense did what we haven't seen before under Ryan Day, which is they were dominating a game and just providing this really good offense more bites at the apple. Okay, so this defense is now one of the best statistical defenses in all of college football, okay? Um, you look at the fact that they are a top 10 pressure defense. They also started getting to the quarterback, five sacks. You look at this defense and what they are from, you know, uh, total defense, scoring defense, yards per play defense, rush defense, pass defense, all of it's top 10, all of it's top 10. We're getting to the point now, they're a top five scoring D, fifth in the country in scoring defense, second in the in the entire country in total defense. I think that would really surprise people. Ohio State is number two in the country in total defense right now. That's a scary proposition because we know how good their offense is, in particular when you keep giving them opportunities like a defense like they have can do. And Iowa learned that on Saturday. So how is this defense built? How have they fixed it? Well, let's go into that really quickly. Okay, so Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator for Ohio State, he comes in from Oklahoma State, okay? And he built a really good defense at Duke. He then built a really good defense at Oklahoma State. Now he's starting to, what I believe, build a really good defense and maybe even quicker than he did at the previous locations. But he's building a really good defense at Ohio State. So how does he do it? So I asked him about this. I thought it was a really fascinating and, and, and fun conversation to have. As you know, I nerd out. I love talking with these guys about schematics, their philosophy. And for, for Jim, I, I wanted to ask him really about the origins of this philosophy. Some of my favorite conversations throughout doing this job is like, for instance, sitting with Mike Leach, asking him how he built the air raid. When he and Hal Mummy built the air raid, how was it born, right? Um, same with like Lincoln Riley. Your philosophy of the the run mixed with the air raid pass, how was that born? And with Jim Knowles, I finally was able to have that conversation about this defense and this defensive philosophy, which is fairly unique. The structure is not super unique, but the philosophy of how he uses this structure is fairly unique. Okay, and so here's... Let me take you into what, what he, he and I talked about. Number one, that he he sat there with, with David Cutcliffe at Duke, and he said, you know, with the way modern offense is going, I've got to build a defense that can communicate really quickly with quick calls. But it's not just about having calls that are really quick, maybe even one word. It's about those calls allowing us to be really multiple in how we attack the offense. So... Remember, like most teams offensively use a quicker tempo because they feel like it's going to give them an advantage because they feel like they're going to get more vanilla looks on the other side because it's just harder to make defensive calls. So he wanted to build a system and a communication pattern that would allow him to be multiple blitz, change the front, change the coverage, and communicate it in a really 
quick manner. I thought that was, you know, really cool. And then also it's like, okay, well, that's just language, right? So let's talk more about structure. And so he said, well, I'm, I'm getting to that because there was only one, there was only two bullet points. One was quickly communicate. And, and the second was disguise. I wanted to build a structure and a defense that in every single call and at every single moment, we were disguising for two people, the offensive coordinator on the other side, play caller, and the quarterback. I thought that was that was interesting. And so he he went into how he loves the 425 because you've got three safeties and you can disguise the coverage and you can really mix and match who's dropping, when they're dropping, who's blitzing, when they're blitzing, and you can change front structure, so on and so forth. So quickly call a defense, be multiple in the way that you attack the offense, and then have the ability to disguise. And the purpose in disguising to in disguising is to confuse the play caller pre-snap because you know all these offenses love to look over to the uh, sideline. Also confuse the quarterback, both pre-snap and post-snap. And why? What, what are you trying to achieve? You're trying to force the coordinator to stick with a play call and then for the quarterback to pat the ball and wait for a moment in the pocket. And what does that moment achieve? Pressure. So the disguise is all about presenting pressure on the quarterback. So you're trying to confuse him, make him go to a second look, pat the ball, get uncomfortable for a moment mentally, and then you're going to make him uncomfortable physically with your ability to get to the passer. And they did that, and they do that. This is a top 10 pressure rate team uh, from a defensive standpoint. They got five sacks. This is a team that hadn't gotten to the quarterback yet, but you knew it was coming. Why did you know it was coming? Because Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State, with I would say actually lesser players, and that's not a knock, it just is what it is when you look at the recruiting statistics, they led the country in sacks last year with four per game. There was only one team that had more total sacks than Oklahoma State, and that was Alabama with one more game that they played in the 15 rather than the 14 Oklahoma State played. So in, in terms of a per game, Oklahoma State was the best quarterback rush team in the country. Why? Disguise. Forcing the quarterback to just hold the ball a beat longer than he wants to, and we saw that show up against Iowa. I believe those numbers will continue. I believe that their pressure rate will continue. I believe their ability to get to the quarterback will continue. We may see it even this week against Penn State. So that's how they're built. And I think that's why they've got some staying power. And then they were also able to, to create the turnovers. So this defense, let's recap, dominated a team that they should dominate. And why is that important? Well, this is why it's important. Because after all that's being said, okay, and you take a look at that game, Here's kind of a bottom line description of Ohio State's win over Iowa. I don't think anybody would say or argue, and I, I certainly wouldn't, would argue that Ohio State played well. I mean, they had to settle for four field goals on short fields in the first half. This is the best offense in the country, right? I mean, like, they didn't play well, right? They played okay. They played okay. They got it going late, right? They played good. They played good and blew the doors off of Iowa. Wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. Scored more points on the scoreboard 
than anybody's ever scored against a Kirk Ferentz team. There's only been three other teams get into the 40s since 2015. Stanford in the Rose Bowl with Christian McCaffrey, an Iowa State team that, by the way, Iowa still won that game early in the season, 44-41, and Michigan in the Big Ten Championship game last year. So like since 2015, teams don't even score in the 40s. Ohio State didn't even play well and dropped a 54 on that team. That's scary. 54-10, spreads 30, they covered, dropped 54, worst loss in the Ferentz era, and you're like, no, nah, you know, they played okay. <laughs> I mean, do you see like now, after, in, in hindsight, after you peel back the layers of this onion, you sit there and you're like, well, this is scary. This is scary how good Ohio State could be. Because everyone always wants to look to the offense, and and that's how we're going to define a team as playing well or not playing well. But the bottom line is, is that this defense thoroughly dominated a team that they should thoroughly dominate. They basically allowed three points, because remember the score for Iowa, as far as the touchdown goes, was the defensive score. They allowed three points, and it was a long field goal. So... How good can Ohio State be? Well, they didn't even play well and absolutely roasted Iowa 54-10. to So I think that they're really good. And once I finally got to that point and I thought more about the game and I thought about all of these things that I've been talking about right now, that's why it was so easy to still put them number one because they're still so much more complete than anybody else in the country. Nobody else can couple that offensive firepower with that amount of defensive dominance. You can't, right? So like the dominant defense for Alabama, yeah, they were great against Mississippi State. Only scored 30 points. Tennessee doesn't have a defense like Ohio State's. Not even close, quite frankly. Look at the passing yards they, they, they just gave up this weekend and last weekend. You know, I told you again and again, Florida and Alabama had more first downs than Tennessee, more total yards than Tennessee, even though Tennessee won those games. A bad Pittsburgh team, Maybe that's harsh, but remember, they were down to a backup quarterback. He was hobbling around, took them to overtime. So why is Ohio State still number one? That's why, because they don't even have to play well, and they beat Kirk Ferentz in Iowa 54-10. to It's wild. It's wild. And once I finally, like, I started writing all this down late last night on, my, on the plane ride. I, I watched the game back today on film preparing for the the game against uh, Ohio State and Penn State this week. And it just hits me. I'm like, oh my gosh, it was 54-10. It's a scary proposition. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project big or small as a homeowner myself i always have things i want to work on for my house whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool with over 200,000 pros in their network angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. 
So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All right, let's move on. Really good game up at Oregon. UCLA went up there, thought UCLA would win. They didn't. They did not. Oregon's up next. I see a Ducks team here, Jason, that isn't going anywhere. I mean, they just have too much. And defensively, they give up some yards today, sure. But they settle for field goals and holding the field goals, absolutely. Did they come off a bye week just as sharp as they went into it? Absolutely. Yeah, good description by Brock there. He did a great job on that game. Um, I was I was jealous, right? I mean, like our game was a stinker. His was fantastic. Uh, and he did an awesome job. Awesome job. This Oregon team is a really good story. And just really good. And I'll talk about both of those things. <clears throat> Let's start with why is Oregon such a good team? Okay, well... One, I think that this has gone overlooked and certainly went overlooked by me leading into this game is they've got one of the best home field advantages in all of college football. All right, Otson was awesome, right? And and our crew there with Fox, uh, Bo Garrett, the producer, um, everybody involved, they did an amazing job just showing the atmosphere, the shout uh, in the third quarter, like... It was a great atmosphere. It was loud. And you could tell that that made life really difficult on UCLA, who I still think is a pretty good team, by the way. This doesn't mean UCLA is bad, by the way. It just means Oregon is really good. And that place is ridiculously difficult to play. They've won 23 straight games there. And that's one of the best home field advantages in the sport. And no one talks about it. We never talk about it. And shame on me, shame on guys like me for not talking about Pac-12 football that way. We just never talk about atmospheres on the West Coast as being great. That's a great atmosphere. Oregon's got one of the best home field advantages in the entire sport. And they proved it on Saturday. So good on you, Duck fans. You were fantastic. That was loud and difficult on a really veteran quarterback and a good team in UCLA. And Oregon handled a really good UCLA team, 45-30. And how did they do that? Well, they did it because they just put their head down after that opening week loss and got better and better and better. The offensive line is the best offensive line in the Pac-12 and one of the better ones in the country. And that was proven out uh, on Saturday. Their run game was tremendous, tremendous. I thought Bo Nix was outstanding. That always comes with a caveat because when you play the amount of football that Bo Nix has under the microscope, you you know that like there's good Bo and bad Bo, and we got the really good Bo on Saturday, and and that was fantastic for Oregon. He threw a couple of those deep balls that were impeccable. They were as good as you can possibly throw them. They've got speed on the outside. They're 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 tough uh, on on defense, even though they gave up some yards. They're tough. It was hard on UCLA. All game long. That's why they ended up having to settle for field goals because nothing came easy. So even though they were able to score 30 and gain some yards, it was hard work. That's exactly what a defense should do. Um, I think they're really skilled and good in the backfield. Oregon is a really good football team, a really good football team. And so it leads you to like, well, what are we supposed to do with week one? (laughs) What are you supposed to do with week one? Because 
they got drilled by, what was it, 46 against Georgia in week one. Well, let's not like explain it away. And yes, that's a huge win for Georgia and looks better every single week as Oregon continues to get better. But in hindsight, here's a program that loses their coach, hires a guy that basically goes across country from Georgia as a defense coordinator all the way up to Oregon. They get a quarterback across the country. They're trying to build a team chemistry. There's a lot of these players that I'm sure feel jaded that Dan Lanning's trying to win over in the locker room and build a chemistry at Oregon. It's always difficult for for a new coach. He's a first-time head coach. And here he is in his very first game, and they've got to go to the defending national champion in their backyard, which basically should be Athens, you know, light, and it's not even light. So they go into hostile territory against a veteran quarterback that just won a title, that knows this style and, and schematics inside and out because they just ran Dan Lanning's system defensively and and are continuing to do so and and here you go and then they like they beat them down they beat them down thoroughly and we just threw Oregon away and shame on us shame on us and and this is why this sport and its structure is so cruel and ruthless it's really cruel and ruthless now part of that is is what makes it amazing is because the regular season matters and week one matters you know when this happens in the NFL nobody cares Nobody cares. Like, I'm a Denver Nuggets fan because I grew up in Denver. And, like, I think they lost game one last week, but I don't even really know. Why? Because who cares? Who cares? So that's part of what makes college football amazing is that we do care, and it does matter right from Jump Street. But at the same time, it makes it cruel. It really does. And ruthless in a a lot of regards because we tossed Oregon into the trash heap and Kudos to them. Dan Lanning, Kenny Dillingham, Tosh Lapoy, all those players, Bo Nix, all of you guys. You just kept working. Good on you. This is what football is, is all about. And this is what guys like me and fans all over the country, we lose sight of at times, is that this is still a sport of development. Week in and week out, all you're trying to do is get better. And good on Oregon for after that really humiliating loss, week one to Georgia, they just went back to the grindstone and continued to work hard. That was a really good team on Saturday, and they beat a really good team. The Pac-12 is strong this year, much stronger than the ACC. More on that in a moment. But that was a good, good UCLA team, and they beat them soundly, held them to field goals, right? Stole possessions with the onside kick. They were able to score touchdowns, not kick field goals, utilize their great environment. That was a great college football game and a great college football team. So what do we do with week one? Well, I can tell you this. I'm much more apt to to, to give Oregon the benefit of the doubt because of the development that we've seen and and the, the nature in which that first game had to play out, right? Like, This is a team that I will absolutely, if they are able to win the Pac-12, will argue that they should be in the college football playoff because they're looking that good. They're looking that good. 
Let's just pose it this way. This will be the last way that I'll pose this. They had to go week one in Lanning's first game as a head coach, Nick's first game as the Oregon quarterback, into Georgia territory and play Georgia. Let's just say, sake of argument, Georgia this week had to go to Autzen Stadium. Now, I'm not arguing Georgia would lose that game. I'm not arguing that, by the way, I'd probably pick Georgia in that game. Hell, I just picked UCLA last week like a dummy. But it ain't a 46-point blowout. Not even close. Not even close. And even a Georgia fan would have to admit that. You'd have to admit that. That team is way better, way better. They're in the catbird seat in what I think is a really good and deep conference. And if they're able to, with only that one loss, win that conference, I think that they should probably go to the playoff. All right, next up, another great story, TCU. Let's get it. And number eight with a bullet is 7-0. and And uh, just now in the catbird seat, they clearly control their destiny. No question about it. And when was the last time can we say that? I just kind of love that I, I use the term that Timmy B just used, right? Like, love Timmy B. Uh, Timmy, great job on Saturday. Really good game. And you could say that TCU got fortunate, and they did, because Kansas State dealt with those injuries. Adrian Martinez didn't really play. Will Howard goes down. They're, they're down to Rubley, the third-string quarterback. And TCU took advantage. But there's just something about this TCU team. There's something about this TCU team that's easy to root for. That's why I have a smile on my face. There's something about this TCU team that is going to be really tough to beat. It's going to be really tough to beat. And we've seen that play out this month. They're only the third team in the AP poll uh, era, dating back to 1960, that have beaten four teams that were ranked at the time of the game in one calendar month. Oklahoma was ranked 18th. They blew them out. Kansas was ranked 19th. They beat them on the road. Oklahoma State was ranked 8th. They come back from double digits and win that game. And Kansas State was ranked 17th. And they were able to come back in that game as well and beat the Wildcats. There's only been two other teams do that. Stanford in 2012. Iowa in 1960. Right? So they're doing something that has some real historic relevance. And... I'm impressed. Comeback fashion again. Their offense is really good. It's not going anywhere. That offense is really good. And if you're going to beat TCU, you're going to have to deal with that offense at some point. And Kansas State, yeah, they didn't get to implore what Iowa uh, would have tried to do, which is steal possessions, minimize possessions, slow the game down. But listen, TCU got them in the end with big plays and Max Duggan. There's my man. I've been waiting. Max Duggan, I have been waiting for this all weekend. Max Duggan, you are on my Heisman shortlist, and I love every moment of it. Because here's the deal, and I think that you would admit it with me. I don't think you're the most talented quarterback out there, right? But I don't know of many quarterbacks that are a more have more competitive fortitude than Max Duggan. I love this kid. I told you about his story last week, right? Never quit, faced adversity, stared it down, right down the barrel, and he is coming out the other end. And this guy is succeeding, right? He's like Andy Dufresne in that respect. Here he is, 
shirt off in the rain, staring up, undefeated. This guy is quickly becoming my favorite player. He he, you know, I've been trying to write down term terms, right? Winner. That's a that's a term, but that doesn't fully encapsulate it. He's a ball playing Jesse. That's how a coach would talk about it, right? He's a ball playing Jesse. You get the sense that you you decided like, hey Max, we're gonna go and we're gonna play a football game, and the ball is gonna be a head of lettuce, and there's no grass, and there's some broken bottles in the in the in the parking lot, but we're gonna play tackle. He'd just be like, I defer to the second half. It's like, yeah, great. Like, let's go. Late, late in the game yesterday, late in the game. He's like putting himself in the mix for first downs, just charging forward. You can tell getting beat up, getting hit. They were hitting him late. They were hitting him right in the chops, and he just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. He's, he's one of the most strong-willed competitors I've seen in a long time. A long time. He, he, there's a there's a little bit of Tebow in him, right? In in that sense, M- may throw it better down the field, right? I mean, I think we can all admit that. But man, this like, don't we love when a guy like that? He's not the tallest. He's not the fastest. He doesn't have the best arm. It's not the most accurate arm. But he's just not gonna quit. Not gonna quit. So fine. Get a double-digit lead on TCU at your own peril because here he comes, man. Max Duggan, here he comes. And TCU, there they are, undefeated. I think, I think, this is not official, I think Gus and I are going to get to go down there and call a TCU game. I think. And I can't wait. And as long as they remain unbeaten and as long as they remain on this track to where if they continue to win, they're going to go to the playoffs, guess what? Max Duggan is going to be on my short list for the Heisman Trophy. Why? Because there is not a more strong-willed competitor in college football this year, and I am here for it. All right, last thing, we got to talk about Clemson, so let's do it. Uh, Obviously, uh, uh, made a little change there at quarterback, and, and, you know, it's just – I mean, it was just one of them days, and uh, DJ's been awesome all year. And you know, uh, sometimes sometimes the ball don't go in the basket. You know, the best of the best. Uh, sometimes you go 0 for five. You know, sometimes you 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 know Steph Curry goes you know three for 22. You know, it just sometimes it just won't go in. And uh, sometimes you got to give somebody else an opportunity. And um, you know, really proud of Cade. You know, to throw him in that situation. I mean, like, uh, Dabo, Dabo. Like, if we were going to say, before hearing that, if I were to tell you, Dabo is going to talk about benching his quarterback, what would he probably say? That's, like, verbatim what I would write down. He would make a Steph Curry reference. The greatest shooter in the history of basketball, you know, DJ Uyunglele is kind of like that. <laughs> oh, I mean, just make a baseball comparison. It's easier. It's easier because it's like, hey, you know, some nights in baseball you go over four, and everyone's like, yeah, you know, that happens. But when it's like, yeah, sometimes Steph Curry, it's like, ah, uh, you know, is DJ really Steph Curry? I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, and I know everyone's trying to say the right things and like, oh, it's just one bad day, and you know, it'll be fine, and we're gonna go that direction. But really, is it? 
I mean, week one, we sat here and, and we had this conversation. Are they better with Kate Klubnik or are they better with DJ Uyunglele? And and listen, DJ has played well at times. At times, he's played well. He played great against Wake. He really did. And we committed him for it. But now we're starting to see like this up and down, this up and down. And the problem is, is that DJ's floor is really low. It's really low. So like, is it going to be Klubnik coming in? I don't know. I don't know. Should he? I'm not sure. Because here's the one thing I do know about college football coaches. And, and fans want to say like, oh, well, he's just married to, to DJ and he's never going to do that. And he's playing his favorite. And College coaches are not that way. If you're better in practice, you'll probably play. Right? Like that's that's just the way it happens. And these guys get paid too much money. There's too much on the line. To go out there and just be like, you know, I like this kid better, so he's going to play over the kid that's a, that's playing better in practice. That doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. So there's a reason DJ is still your starting quarterback. But, but, and I will tell you this, some guys are better in games. And if Klubnik becomes the guy that it's like, man, we didn't see that in practice, but boy, in the games, this is where he excels, then they might have to go that direction. Because the bottom line is, is that they've got a couple of games, really one coming up that if DJ plays to his floor, they'll get beat. I think South Carolina could beat them. That leads to my next point and last point on Clemson. Do we really think that Clemson is all that good? I mean, I know they're undefeated and and I still have them up like up there, you know. I think, I don't know, sixth or something right now. And and I'll honor that. And I've argued that we should only include conference champions in the playoff. And, I've, and I I will fully stand by that. But is this team really that good? I, I have no idea. And the bad part about that is that we won't figure that out until they potentially play a playoff game. You see, I've always argued for every playoff participant to be a conference champion because generally speaking, almost all the time, you're going to get tested at some point in your conference. And in every conference this year, that's happening as we speak. And it will happen throughout November. There's no other team in the country with an easier path to the playoff than Clemson. And it's been this way for quite some time. Quite some time. This is a team that has gotten the benefit of an eight-game conference schedule, uh, not nine, and a ridiculously weak one-team conference. You know, not. I mean, even Oklahoma had had a tougher gauntlet through the Big Twelve to go to the playoff in some of those years than what Clemson has had throughout their tenure, uh, Dabo's tenure in these playoff years. And that's not to to tell you, to say like they didn't have good teams. No, of course they like they had great teams. They won national championships. So I'm not arguing that they shouldn't go. I'm just saying like, boy, do we really think that they're any good? I don't think so. And and we're not going to know until the playoff. And they're going to be there by the way. So we're really playing for three spots. And that kind of sucks. It kind of makes me think Man, I wish we had expansion early, right? It makes me wish we had expansion early because there's no part of me that thinks that Clemson could finish any higher than third in the SEC East or the Big Ten East. Think about that for a moment. 
Do we really believe Clemson could finish any higher than third in the SEC East or the Big Ten East? Do we really think Clemson is better than Ohio State or Michigan? I don't. Do we think that they're better than Georgia or Tennessee? I don't. I don't. There's no way in the world they would win the Big Ten this year. There's no way in the world they would win the SEC. They might be one of the teams that I would say, yeah, they could maybe win the the Big 12, just like any of these good teams in the Big 12. And I don't think that there's any way that they would win the Pac-12. So what do we do with Clemson? What do we do with Clemson? Well, they're going to the playoff. And so now we're fighting for three spots. So good luck to everybody else. Good luck to everybody else. And it might be just absolute chaos coming down the stretch. All right. On Wednesday, I will have thoughts on Texas, that game against Oklahoma State. Boy, we just continue to go through this, don't we? And we all, well, I, I, not all. I won't lump you in with this. I'll just take the bullet right here. I always fall for it. Always. I always fall for it. Every single year. Hey, what's that over there? Oh, it's Joel falling for Texas every year. Texas A&M are who they are every year. More thoughts on that on Wednesday's edition of the Joel Class Show. Remember, download uh, download this, subscribe to this show, and share it with a friend because we're having a lot of fun. I love doing this show, and I appreciate all of you for listening. Um, you can follow the show at Joel Klatt Show on any of the social medias. You can follow me at Joel Klatt on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you on Wednesday. <laughs>